Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. After studying this part of Tanya for a year, the entire second part of Tanya, the Rebbe had a thought to make it the first part of Tanya. You know, later on he chose to make it the second part of Tanya. But this is a very essential part of the Tanya. This is the Chabad, the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, Chachma Binadaz, how a person has to understand, understand with his mind, understand and understand godliness, the unity of, of Hashem, and align your mind, so to speak, with, with godliness. Tune in your mind with godliness, that your mind should be able to perceive and understand and begin to sense and become aware and be sensitive to the whole idea of godliness, the unity of Hashem, and how the entire world is totally nullified before Hashem, how really there's no other reality. While the first part of Tanya is focused on helping a person align his emotional life, helping a person align his experiential life with, with, to be in tune with godliness, the uh, second part of Tanya is allowing your uh, mind and your understanding to be able to grasp and to be able to understand and you know, be able to intuit um, the reality of godliness. The foundation of the Tanya is the belief that every Jew deep down has a relationship, has a connection, and therefore this connection transcends is much greater than a person's uh, whatever your consciousness is, whatever level of consciousness you have about godliness, you are in tune, you're not in tune, it doesn't change the reality. The reality remains the same, whether you're conscious of your connection, whether you're not conscious of your connection, whether you appreciate it, you don't appreciate it, you understand it, you don't understand it, it doesn't take away from the reality. The fact is, the reality is that the connection is there. And this connection is much greater than all of, than all of our experiences and all our comprehension, all our understanding. You know, even we don't have the freedom of choice to really damage or to disconnect. That connection runs too deep and runs far deeper than anything we can consciously grasp. And therefore, even if a person's consciousness goes contrary to this core, this essence, if a person is not in tune with godliness, your mind doesn't appreciate it, you don't understand the concept of godliness. And by the way, this can be true of religious Jews as well, very orthodox Jews. You're doing everything that you should be doing, but there's no sensitivity, there's no feeling, there's no sense of, of, of the reality of godliness, the scope, the infinite scope, the, there's no sense of humility standing in the face of this overwhelming reality of this truth, this core truth that there's no other reality but God and the total nullification of all of reality that everything is truly godliness and there's nothing else but godliness and everything is truly the godly energy a person can go through his entire life follow the entire Torah and yet be totally clueless without any clue, without any sense 
of the reality of godliness, the reality of all the Torah and mitzvah that he's performing or studying. And, um, but nevertheless, it doesn't change the reality. The reality remains the same. Even if you're unaware of it, you can go through your entire life being unaware of this reality, there's a reality that the reality is, 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 um, is real whether we know or not, we are in touch with it, we're not in touch with it, we're in tune with it, or we're not in tune with it. However, it makes for a very poor life when you are totally not in touch with what's really going on. When you live a life that's counter to what's really going on inside of you. And your life does not reflect it. As a matter of fact, you may live a life that's in conflict or in contradiction. Because every, anything that inflates your ego, enhances your ego, or is just there just to um, expand your ego, is actually contrary to the whole sense of the soul. Because the way the soul senses and experiences reality the soul senses the reality of godliness and the soul is completely nullified before godliness. And the soul yearns to be in touch, to be in tune with this reality. That its entire being it wants to be in touch and express this truth, express this reality. But when a person lives a reality that's outside of this truth, it's artificial. It's synthetic. And in many cases it may even be poisonous or the opposite or contradictory when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing then we're violently going against our very own core and our very own essence so we are living a life that that's contrary and that's um, even negative and goes against that, that truth, that core essential truth but nevertheless that truth remains so a person could be studying Torah, doing mitzvot, and he has no idea what's really going on. He is, his neshama knows what's going on. Even when you're not consciously aware of what's going on, our soul is aware of what's going on. So our soul, when our soul is studying Torah, we think, we may think we're studying Torah, it's intellectually stimulating, it's a way to create a name in the community, that I'm a great Torah scholar, for egotistical purposes. But deep down, the neshama, the soul, is learning Torah for all the right reasons. And Neshama is yearning to connect with godliness. And the only way to connect with godliness, to become intimate with godliness, is through studying Torah. So the studying of Torah nourishes the Neshama. And that's, and that's what the, the, the Neshama is hanging on for dear life. A little Torah, a little mitzvah. But it's a very impoverished existence when your conscious reality is, is in conflict or is pulling you in a totally opposite direction of the truth, of, of, of what's really going on. Just to use a, an analogy, the human organism, the human organism is so complex. It's very difficult for the human organism to become ill because the human organism, despite, despite the fact that we're exposed to so much... Um, so much negativity, so, so much... Uh, <laughs> to, um, you know, we live in a society that's overdrugged and everything is mass-produced and extremely unhealthy and uh, 
very synthetic and very uh, unnatural. It's unnatural for a person to be pill-popping all the time. It's unnatural for the foods that we eat, they're unnatural. Fifty years ago, we never had these foods. They're poisoned, they're synthetic, they're, 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 they're artificial, they're... I mean, it doesn't take brain size, it doesn't take, uh, uh, you know, to be brilliant. It doesn't, it's not uh, rocket science to realize that there's something very wrong, very unnatural with the status quo. And nevertheless, despite all the abuse, tremendous abuse that the body takes because of the, the world that we live in, the type of life that we're exposed to, and nevertheless, people are... <laughs> the fact that we remain healthy... And the fact that we're able to overcome illness, despite all the drugs that we're taking, um, is actually a tremendous um, tribute to the body. It just tells us how almost infinitely complex the body is, what a healthy organism it is, because it has a piece of Hashem inside of it, and therefore it has tremendous power for health. So despite the fact that consciously we're doing everything to destroy the body, the foods that we eat are poison, are garbage. The, the, the over-medication, and over... I mean, it's just horrible to the body. And nevertheless, the body is able to overcome a tremendous amount of abuse because it just tells us how the body has a life of its own. The organism is so healthy, has such a life of its own, it's able to overcome all this, all this exposure to toxic uh, ear and to toxic whatever. So this is an analogy. Job says, from my flesh I know Hashem. Just like it's true with the body, it's also true with the neshama, with the soul. Our neshama is such a living, breathing organism. It's so alive. It has such a life of its own. It's so vibrant and healthy. It's so connected with Hashem. That despite the fact that a person may, on a conscious level, be totally clueless of anything godly, Everything about his life is all about egotistical. Everything is motivated by ego. Even the religion could be motivated by ego. I want to do Torah. I want to do mitzvah because I want to have a shir in the world to come. Eternal ego. Eternal reward. So you can't stop with your eye. It's all about me, myself, and I. What can God do for me? By doing Torah and mitzvah, I'm going to be rewarded forever. The eternal ego. So it's all about ego, it's all about I, it's not about Hashem, it's not about godliness. And yet despite all this abuse, despite a Jew who can be exposed to a system, where on a conscious level, the Jew never studies the inner secrets of the Torah, never studies the Kabbalah, never studies the Tanya, never studies Hasidus, and is clueless, simply has no idea of what godliness is, or what the godly soul is, or what the unity of Hashem means, or what this core truth of Torah is all about. And just going through the motions, because he grew up religious, and he's just going through the motions, and consciously all he's thinking about is the world to come, and all about ego and I, and has no clue that there's anything beyond the I. <laughs> has no idea that there's a whole reality that transcends the, the I. But nevertheless, the neshama is so vibrant, it's so healthy. The truth of the soul, and the truth of the soul's connection with Hashem is so deep and so profound, that when the Jew studies Torah and does mitzvot, there is a truth there. The neshama is nourish, is, it nourishes itself from the Torah and the mitzvah. And there, there's some connection to holiness, there's some connection to godliness. And therefore most Jews who are sincere 
who are, who are not hating, don't hate any other Jew. Because the moment the Jew hates another Jew in the name of Torah, you know that that Jew has totally disconnected himself from godliness, from holiness. And he has no connection. He's actually violently doing battle with his nisham. But a Jew who's sincere, who's wholesome, who doesn't speak anything negative about other Jews, sees the good in other Jews, and is following Torah and mitzvot, but was never exposed, never had a Jewish education, doesn't really understand the depth of Judaism, doesn't really appreciate the depth and the joys of Torah and mitzvot and godliness. And on a conscious level, everything he's been fed may be very synthetic, very artificial, spiritually synthetic, spiritually synthetic, and artificial, like almost manufactured food, the equivalent of manufactured food spiritually. It's, it's an empty, meaningless experience, spiritually speaking. And nevertheless, the neshama gains something from that experience, is nourished by the Torah and the mitzvah, because the Torah is divine, and the mitzvah are divine, and the neshama has the divine connection. Whether we're aware of it or not, it doesn't change that reality. So the neshama has a life of its own. But the whole point of the Hasidic movement of the Baal was to why live such an impoverished existence? Why live a life where the conscious, your conscious self, your conscious mind, your conscious is totally not in tune with that wholesome inner reality, with that inner dynamic that's going on inside how much richer would our life be? How much deeper, how much more connected, how much more genuine, how much truer, how much f- more full would our life be when our consciousness is totally aligned with our subconscious? When the mind is on fire, the mind appreciates and understands the idea of godliness, the core truth of godliness. And, and the heart the heart is on fire, the mind is on fire. And then, when you develop that conscious sensitivity to godliness, you automatically avoid, just like you avoid junk food, you avoid anything that's not consistent with godliness. Anything that smacks of ego, of egotism, you're able to differentiate. This is not Judaism. Judaism is all about modesty, it's all about being nullified before Hashem, being unified with Hashem being in awe, standing in the reality of Hashem. Rising above your ego, above the I. Connecting something deeper and greater. It's about transformation, changing. And when your life is in tune, when your conscious life is in tune with what's going on inside, our life is so much richer, so much more satisfying. Now, the conscious life is a little overrated because... Perhaps 1% of our being. 99% of our reality happens, thank God, unselfconsciously. We have no idea what happens to our body. Our body breathes on its own. It digests on its own. There are billions of things that happen simultaneously in the body which are so complex and exquisite. It's just beyond, beyond our grasp. And all of that happens simultaneously at the body. And the body regulates itself and takes care of itself without our help, without our control. So human consciousness, human self-control is a little, over, a little overrated. But that 1% could also do a lot of damage. 
You know, all it takes to block out reality is one little finger. Put your finger in front of your eyes and suddenly you're blind. You don't see reality. Remove that finger and suddenly it's a beautiful world. So that 1%, if that 1% becomes egotistical and becomes negative and it becomes toxic and it becomes... Then it just complicates things. It makes life much more difficult, much, not a, much less enjoyable. The whole Jewish experience becomes rigid and becomes guilt-ridden and it becomes negative and it becomes holier-than-thou and it becomes egotistical and lifeless and soulless and joyless and meaningless and just ritual and custom. While if you remove that finger, if you use, deliberately use your consciousness to remove that, that blockage and you open yourself up, you open your mind up and you open your heart up, to the truth and you sensitize yourself to the inner truth what's going on inside to that infinite reality the core truth of Judaism and you align your life accordingly then your whole your life becomes wholesome your life becomes a consistent your inside like outside outside like inside your life becomes rewarding rich meaningful powerful and that's the whole purpose of Chabad the whole purpose of Chabad is to take that subconscious out of the closet so to speak to bring all that power into your conscious life so your whole life becomes consistent and wholesome and vibrant and healthy and vigorous. You're not just alive because you're not dead. There's more to life than not being dead. You're alive because you're vibrant, you're vigorous. You live your life to the full, to the hill, to the maximum. And that's really the focus of the, the, the Tanya. first part of the Tanya is to focus your emotional, your experiential life and be in tune with your godly soul. And the second part of Tanya is to focus your mind, concentrate your mind, your Chabad, your wisdom, your creative ability, your intuition, your intuitive ability, your logical mind, analytical mind, and then your integrative mind. All three minds should be focused and concentrated on the truths and realities of godliness. That your life should be consistent and, and wholesome. And this is the, the great gift Hashem has given us that He has enabled us to to um, get a sense of the of the of the, these core truths of the grandeur of godliness. We should appreciate it, internalize it, integrate it, and make it a living, breathing, joyous part of our life. Then the, our Yiddishkeit soars. Our Yiddishkeit has. It breathes, it's, it's, it's wholesome, it's powerful, it's intense and joyful. But nevertheless, the bottom line is, as the Tanya brings out, the action is what counts most, the deed. Because again, all human experience is a little overrated. Meditation and love and philosophizing and religion all of that is human consciousness. Human consciousness is barely 1% of, of what's really going on. 99%, if not higher, goes on unselfconscious, subconscious. And the same, same is true with the neshama and with godliness. Whatever we are able to grasp and experience and appreciate is just such a... It's not even 1% of what's going on. The only thing that really touches that core, that essence 
of what's really going on inside. And our relationship to Hashem is action, the deed. That's why the Torah, unlike all other religions, Judaism, unlike all other religions, says the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is the action, the deed. You've done the deed, you're on the train. Okay, you can be first class, you can be fourth class. It depends how much sensitivity you have, it depends how much kavana you have, how much intent, how much concentration, how much focus, how much refinement, how more ego, less ego. But the bottom line is, you've done the deed, you've done what Hashem asked you to do, you're in. If you haven't done what Hashem asked you to do, you can have all the love in the world and all the meditation in the world and you're totally, you're 100% out. You have zero. You have nothing. So Judaism appreciates it that let's not overrate the, the subjective, personal part. The, what's, what's going on here is something far deeper and far greater than any one of us could possibly fully experience or appreciate or grasp. God, in, God is infinite. Godliness is infinite. Our neshama has such a depth that's beyond our comprehension. And what's the relationship between a Jew and Hashem, ultimately? What's the bond and the connection between a Jew and Hashem? It's not the ecstasy. It's not the, the love and the song and the spiritual. It's the physical, the deed. You put on the tefillin. You lit the Shabbos candles. You ate kosher. You did the mitzvah. You avoided doing something you shouldn't be doing. That's the connection. That's the bottom line. So a Jew approaches Hashem with a very simple, we call Kabbalah's oil, discipline. I am a soldier. The bottom line is a soldier, it's very simple. You have a command and you do it. And then everything else comes later. The explanation and the rationalization and the understanding and the appreciation and the sensitivity and the depth and the personal and the individual and the colorful. and That's icing on the cake. Those are the wings that help you soar. But the bird itself, the substance, the essence is the deed, the, the action. And that's really unique to Judaism. Judaism really understands this. That's the revolution of Mount Sinai. That's why Mount Sinai is called a revelation. Because it's, it's counterintuitive. In a million years, you can meditate for a million years, you would never come to the conclusion that Mount Sinai came to. Even the angels cannot grasp such, such a conclusion. It's beyond the, the understanding of an angel. An angel appreciates sensitivity, meditation, love. What is a, what's a mitzvah? What's, what's, why the importance of a mitzvah? So not only Buddha and Mother, Mother Teresa don't appreciate it, an angel doesn't appreciate it. That's why it's revelation. Only Hashem, in His infinite wisdom, revealed to us an astonishing truth, an unexpected truth that caught us all by surprise, caught the whole universe by surprise. You want to know what the most important thing is? 613 minutes. The deed, the action. And that's the difference between Chabad and philosophy. Chabad is not philosophy. Chabad is Hasidism. Philosophy is intellectually stimulating, sharpens the mind, it's interesting, it's fascinating, it's absorbing, but it doesn't lead to action. It leads to more philosophy. And then more philosophy. Chabad, Hasidism, the more you understand, the deeper you go into it, it lights a fire and it leads you to action. 
it leads you to that simple reality, that simple truth, simple core truth, that simple acceptance of the yoke of heaven, that simple acceptance of that simple That my connection to Hashem ultimately transcends experience, transcends logic, transcends understanding, it transcends spiritual, it transcends physical. It boils down to something very simple. Hashem wants me to take a penny and give it to help a poor person. Hashem wants me to do a mitzvah. If a poor person comes to you and cries and needs your help, and you think to yourself, you'll empathize with the person. You'll shed tears with the person. But if the dollar bill stays in your pocket, you don't put your hand in your pocket and take out the dollar bill and hand it to that poor person. The main, the main event is missing. Who needs all your tears? Who needs all your... <laughs> it's very nice, very dramatic. You can make a movie about it, but who cares? The bottom line is you didn't help that person. So who did you help? You just helped yourself. You're living in some sort of delusion. The bottom line is the deed was not done. So the core truth is that a Jew has to approach Hashem. Even with all the Chabad, with all the wisdom and understanding and knowledge and with all the sensitivity and the understanding... And with the experience and the depth and the meditation and the focus and the concentration, a Jew has to understand that ultimately we have to approach Hashem with a certain simple, simple trust, a certain simple, sincere connection that Hashem commands and I do. I'm a soldier. I get the job done. And then comes the philosophy and then comes all the explanation. And when you do, you understand. Because when you experience it, when you actually do it, and you accept upon yourself, you open yourself up to a much deeper understanding. When your, uh, your action is not conditioned on your understanding, I'm not going to limit myself, I'm only going to do to the extent that I understand. If I don't understand, I'm not going to do. That's a very superficial relationship. That means that we miss the whole point. But when you get the point, and you have that core connection, and you have that essential connection, and your neshama has that connection because there are things going on that are beyond our consciousness, beyond our understanding, beyond the grasp of the entire universe. When you do a mitzvah, there's something real that happens. If you understand that and you know that and you do it, the understanding will come. It will bring the understanding because when your neshama is on fire, your neshama is connected, it opens up your neshama and then, and then you're able to understand things even on a conscious level, understand things that are beyond ordinary consciousness able to open yourself up to that. So taking that into consideration, that the deed is what matters most, but the deed is not enough. You also need kavana. You also need soul, sensitivity. Judaism has to engage every part of you. Judaism has to unify the person, just like Hashem is one, is absolutely one. So Judaism also has to unify the person every part of you. Judaism cannot, by its very nature, cannot be compartmentalized. If Judaism only affects your action and your deed, but it leaves your heart and your mind disengaged, doesn't grab your mind, doesn't grab your heart, doesn't grab your attention, your pleasure, your will, it doesn't grab the person subjectively, individually, artistically, as a person, as an individual, it doesn't talk to you. That's a contradiction to the, re- the core truth of that deed. Because the core truth of that deed is that it's a godly deed. And God is absolutely one. 
And therefore, if you're doing a godly deed, you also have to become absolutely one and unified. That every part of you should be pulling in the same direction. When you do the mitzvah, it's not just you doing the mitzvah. Your heart, you're pouring your heart into the mitzvah. You're pouring your mind and soul, heart, mind and soul into the mitzvah. You're doing it with pleasure. You're doing it with will. You're doing it willingly. You're doing it eagerly. You're doing it joyfully and lovingly. Every part of you is involved in that mitzvah. So that's the, the approach of Chabad, the action, but you have also the neshama and the consciousness. So on one hand, the Chabad Hasidism is almost like a paradox. So on one hand, Chabad Hasidism emphasized understanding Hashem and also emphasized Avoida. Avoida means experiencing godliness. Um, transformation where godliness God changes you and, and challenges you and um, and developing your individuality and developing your personal relationship with Hashem and deepening your relationship with Hashem and focusing and concentrating and engaging and and uh, you know every fiber of your being and every bone of your body every part of you is engaged and, and, and has a relationship and connects and uh, every part of you pulls in the same direction. But on the other hand, the core truth of Judaism, and this is what the Rebbe emphasized, more so than any other of the Rebbe's, that the action is what counts most. The deed is what matters most. After everything is said and done, the conscious self is a little overrated, the human individual conscious self. What goes on unselfconsciously, subconsciously is far greater than anything that we can ever possibly grasp on a conscious level. And that's the core truth of Judaism. And therefore it's not affected by our consciousness. It's affected not... At a core level it's not affected. So much so that even if a person lives a life that violently revolts against his very core and essence, lives a life, violates all 613 mitzvot, Nevertheless, that core connection remains intact and whole. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. That essence, that spindly yid, that spark remains whole. That Hanukkah candle, that jar of oil, never ever becomes contaminated. Always remains sealed with the seal of the high priest. That's the pintly yid in each and every Jew. It always remains whole and intact. Because no matter what happens on a conscious level, we can't, ultimately we can't change that core, that essence. The conscious self is just too limited to affect or to really touch that core, that essence. It's imp- it can't. Not negatively and, and uh, even positively, its effect is, is limited. So therefore, a person should never get so caught up with his own experience and his own self-improvement and his own self-development that he ignores the good deed, the action. He has no time to help another Jew. He has no time to look outside of himself. He has no time to do a good deed or to help someone else. Because the deed ultimately is what matters most. And that's the whole purpose of creation, and that's the whole focus of this world that we live in. This is the world of action, where the deed matters most. Not the intent, and not the 
what goes on inside, but what goes on externally. The deed, the bottom line, is the objective reality. And um, but the ideal is where the subjective, the personal, the individual is in total harmony with this objective truth. That you do the mitzvah, but you appreciate the mitzvah. You appreciate the core truth of a mitzvah. You appreciate every time you do a mitzvah, you appreciate that you're making contact with godliness. When you study Torah, you appreciate that you're being intimate with godliness. And you sense that your neshama is, is nourishing, is being nourished through Torah. When you're studying a page of Talmud, you feel that you're being nourished. You're doing something godly. It's not studying math, science, physics, not just intellectually stimulating. It's divine, it's godly, it's holy. You feel your neshama come alive. You're taking your vitamin T. You feel, you feel you're being nourished and nurtured. When you do a mitzvah, you feel that contact. You feel that connection. You feel uplifted. You feel inspired. And this whole paradox of the Chabad Chassid is uh, captured by the story that was once a Chabad Chassid who um, decided to work on his personality and his character to refine himself by denying his ego and trying to rise above his ego and he wouldn't sleep at night, he wouldn't sleep on a bed, he would just fall asleep, you know, studying, studying the Torah and he would deprive himself of eating and he wouldn't eat in normal times and he just neglected his physical and focused, focused entirely on his spiritual development. He was a very special Jew, he was a very refined Jew, but as a result of all his um, self-deprivation, his body became sick he died a young man and on his deathbed he was surrounded he was a young man he was, like, he was surrounded by his colleagues his friends Hasidim and it was at night and he felt that he was about to say the Shema Yisrael he was about to return his neshama to his maker and he said you know I would give up my 30 years of self-deprivation just in order that I can live for another few hours till sunrise and I can put on the tefillin once more in my life and he passed away that night before sunrise and his colleague said you know, he was right because one time putting on tefillin outweighs 30 years of spirituality, of meditation, of refinement, of sensitivity, of focus, of concentration, religiosity, intensity, personal subjectivity. One time putting on film. But you know, it took 30 years of deprivation for him to appreciate <laughs> that truth. So in Chabad, the whole religious, personal, intense, spiritual odyssey and journey is not it's not that a person is going in two directions. There's the world of action, the world of good deeds, and then there's the world of for personal refinement and spirituality and develop, sensitivity and developing and ref, character refinement and development and change. It's not two tracks. It's the same track. The refinement is to appreciate the godly truth of a mitzvah, the godly reality of a mitzvah, to appreciate the godly reality of studying Torah, what happens when a Jew studies Torah. The powerful intimacy, interaction between a Jew and Hashem through studying Torah. And the more you refine yourself and the more you appreciate that, that's what motivates you to go to meet a Jew 
It's totally not observant. Stop a Jew in 42nd Street and get them to put on tefillin the first time in their life. One time in their life. What's the big deal? They're not becoming a card-carrying member of the Orthodox community, of the religious community. You see him once, you probably never see him again. One-time thing. What's, why, why are you taking so much time and effort and just to get a Jew to put on tefillin one time in his life? It's such a big deal. Or to get a woman to light a Shabbat candle one time in her life. It's only once. It's one time. She may, not, she may never continue. What's the point? But if you appreciate what a mitzvah is, and every time a Jew does a mitzvah, one mitzvah, the tiniest mitzvah, you appreciate what really goes on, the core truth of that mitzvah, that there's something that's going on that's beyond human comprehension, beyond the comprehension of the entire universe. When a Jew does a mitzvah, the core and essence of your godly soul is touching and connecting with the core and essence of Hashem. And that's such a powerful truth, such a, a real a reality. Whether you appreciate it fully or not, it doesn't change the fact. Then you'll do all, all that you can just to get one Jew to do one mitzvah. And you appreciate what the, what the halacha of Maimonides, Maimonides quotes the Talmud, how every Jew by doing one single mitzvah could sit, they could single-handedly tip the scale and bring redemption to the world, transform the entire universe. Because that's the power of one single mitzvah. So it's not two tracks. The more sensitive you become, the more inner focused you are, and the more you focus and concentrate on your own improvement and your own development and your own refinement of your characteristic traits and, and, and dealing with all our own emotional issues and our own emotional and psychological issues and becoming better people and transforming and becoming less egotistical. and All of that helps you set, appreciate more the divine truth, the reality the godly reality of a mitzvah, of, of Torah and mitzvah, and helping another Jew. And that's the Chabad paradox. The Chassid is always a paradoxical type of creature. On one hand, he forgot about himself and thought about another Jew. On the other hand, he spent many hours praying, sensitizing himself, meditating, reflecting, understanding, studying, and trying to appreciate and experience godliness and develop a sensitivity for godliness, a feeling for godliness, a taste for godliness. And one reinforced the other. The more internal a chassid went, the more mitzvot he did. It's not like the philosopher. The philosopher, the more philosophy, the more he philosophizes, the more, you, the more he will philosophize, the less action he will do. What does philosophy have to do with action? There's no connection. A chassid, the more he learns chassidahs, the more it leads him to action. The more action he does, the more he runs back to study a little more chassidus, the more, to, the more he can develop his spiritual sensitivity. The more he develops his spiritual sensitivity, the more the appetite grows to do a little more mitzvah, to, do a little, to beautify the mitzvah, to help another Jew, to get another Jew to do a mitzvah. The more he helps another Jew, the more he does mitzvah, the deeper his understanding and the more he's able to penetrate and to go even deeper in his own spiritual uh, growth. And that's, that's the paradox of the Jew, as lived out and expressed by the life of the Chassid. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at 
www.lessonsintanya.com.